The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. What is this, parade? Move these people back. Welcome to Subversive Cinema. Oh my god! I never forget a face, especially if I'm sad on it. Welcome to the show yet again. You got your host Art Hall here, and with me tonight, I have my old buddy Kenny Hopkins. Kenny, how you doing? Hey, what's up, Art? I'm glad to be here, man. And he is here to talk with me about a little gem called The Dark Backward. And before I get into that, as always, I am your wrangler of the weird, your purveyor of the peculiar, and your Sherpa to the strange. And holy shit, this movie is, um, it's all those. And it's a god. It is, indeed. It's a treasure in my book. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk about this. All right, so we're here to talk about 1991 film The Dark Backward, directed by Adam Rifkin, where you might know him from movies such as The Last Movie Star, Detroit Rock City and the chase so and here's in this guy's filmography this <laughs> this greasy little gem called the dark backward so ken you had not seen this movie previously is that right that's true yeah i have not seen it never even heard of it and are you happy that i made you watch it i i am i'm happy to go down this little weird dirty ass like alley with you <laughs> So I'm going to say a little bit more about this movie. I'd like to say that The Dark Backward is a story about sweat, garbage, terrible jokes, and just a teaspoon of necrophilia. Oh, and by the way, a third arm. It tells the story of Marty Malt and his buddy Gus. And they are two trash men by day and quote unquote artists by night. Marty is an aspiring comedian. Gus is this accordion player and ne'er-do-well. And... He's a terrible, terrible comedian who just wants to get some laughs. And what happens is he suddenly grows an arm out of his back. Next thing you know, his girlfriend's dumping him. This creepy, smarmy talent agent, Jackie Chrome, takes him under his wing because he sees him as a cash cow. And then all just weird shit happens along the way. It's, it's a strange, strange movie. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very strange. I will say that it does have quite possibly to me the best production design out of any movie I've ever seen because the feeling of the universe and the world permeates in every frame. But we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say one of the things I wrote was like the setting is so bizarre. Like I just kept going back to this setting. So, yeah, go ahead. I'll the let setting you, uh, is so weird. It's fascinating. But, so what's going to be great about this is when we figure out what exactly the the spice level of this movie's subversive sauce is um it, it's certainly going to have a degree of uh, filth and hair floating around in that that saucy mixture so to, in order for us to figure out what makes this movie what it is let's break it down into a few categories and the first one we'll tackle are characters so any characters that stood out to you and why uh definitely the doctor Ah, yes, um, Dr. Scurvy, played by yeah. James Kahn out of all fucking people. Right? Um, the doctor stood out for me. He was just like the best character ever. Um, completely <laughs> unfazed by the arm growing out of the back. Uh, I see this stuff every day. Um, 
and it's just the confidence that he had and everything. And it just, it's like, how's this guy a doctor? Like what world is this? I keep, I'm going to keep going back to the setting here. I'm going to, I apologize for that, but um, the doctor stood out for me. I, I got to know Sid's story. Like what are these other acts that this guy is putting on his, uh, in his uh, nightclub? Because if, if, if Marty Malt is like, you know, a Tuesday, Thursday deal with this guy, what, 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 who's replacing him besides that one guy? Yeah, besides stole uh, his jokes. Yeah, besides the oh geez, what the hell was that guy's name? It was played by the oh Rufus Bing. It was played by the director Adam Rifkin, actually. Yeah, Rufus really? Bing, who clearly stole one of Marty's jokes and just twisted it around. Um, I, I yeah. think that Sid actually doesn't have anything going on <laughs> the rest of the nights. I feel right. like. This is, I don't know. It's just like a sad, sad bar full of sad, sad people. Oh, they're so sad. And like, like everybody in that bar, just like on their, they're all dressed up like in what I would call 1970s Sunday clothes, you know, yep. Sunday best. And all of it's dirty and gross and they're all dirty and gross. And they're all just like, I don't know, drugged. I don't know. I, I keep coming back to the setting. Um, but but for real do, I mean, like the real hero here is Gus. I mean, this guy is just a, a, a volcano of optimism. <laughs> it's an interesting take you have on that. So I want to, we'll get into that, but go on. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, like I was going to say, like, you know, he's, he's constantly propping up Marty, you know, he's not like the best guy in the world. I mean, in the first few scenes, you see him lick a corpse. Okay. Well, there we there's our, there's our dash of, of necrophilia. He finds as garbage men at the dump, he finds a dead body. And because it's a naked female, he decides just like any good natured, creepy garbage man in this weird, dirty world would do. I'm going to lick the corpse. And so he does. Yeah. And then, and then he covers her back up as if to say, I'll come back to you later. And, well, you, <laughs> you gotta, wrap up your leftovers that's too dark that's oh, man oh, no. <laughs> but but for real if you follow this line that i'm going with with gus like you know he starts off he's this big volcano of optimism you know he was at the at the at the event with uh marty and you know he said he didn't laugh out loud because nobody laughed at his jokes but he was like oh i'm laughing on the inside it was great stuff you know keep propping marty up propping marty up and then later on in the thing you know his girlfriend's real lonely very sad depressed and he offers a service for her you know, so well, that's a hell of a way of putting it. <laughs> well, I mean, she apparently moved on, you know, she found better things to do. I don't know. We'd have to take a look at that scene because I remember there being she the grabs word, him and starts. There, kissing she him. does. But after saying no, like 18 times, he's persistent. He's persistent. No, for real. That that was uh, that was kind of fucked up. He shouldn't have did that to Marty. But dude, that's that's see, that's exactly my point is it's interesting because in the beginning, you do see Gus as this guy who seems to be Marty's personal cheerleader. He's his like best friend, only friend seemingly in the world. And he seems to be out for his best interest until he starts doing these things where he's like, yeah, those jokes are funny. And then he says, tell it again. And then quickly ignores it. And as yeah. the movie progresses, he starts talking more about this is going to make you so big and maybe I could do this. And then all of a sudden it's going to do this for us. And all I could help but think was here's this guy, Gus, who's doing all the Machiavellian shit he can to essentially ride the coattails all the way to the top, which that essentially does happen at the yep. end. He ends up going to Hollywood and making There's a no success at all with Marty. No, not at all. He just says, hey, I'll see you later, bud. And then Marty's left at home. So 
it's interesting because I see what you're saying, but at the same time, again, Gus is just this, this, this manipulative dude who is always out for number one. In fact, even when he's meeting with the agent, you notice he's never sitting with, with Marty. He's always sitting next to the agent. Like yeah, they're on the same too. team against him. Right. So, but Gus is a fascinating character played by, played by a wonderfully by um, Bill Paxton, Paxton, the late ba- the late great Bill Paxton. Uh, yep. And I could totally see where he was pulling some of his, uh, his, his mannerisms from aliens too. this, this maniacal oh, energy, yeah. This, yeah. this crazy bro energy with the wide eyes, just going big swinging for the fences, which works really well with Judd Nelson's subdued Marty Mall. So right. I think it went space. I actually need to call out a couple small characters. Uh, one that you do see as an honorable mention is in the very beginning in the club, the patron who's clearly weeping at the joke about the turtle. <laughs> so what's great is it's one thing to see people Most not laugh that. at your jokes, but to see someone who's <laughs> visibly fighting tears. Yes. That says something about the, the skills. Later on when he's back in the club, my other honorable mention is the... Um, the spotlight operator who apparently starts to fall asleep and you yeah, see the light yeah. drop down. <laughs> and whoever the fuck this corporate entity Blump is. Yes. Because it is that. everywhere. Yeah. I, I actually started doing a tally of Blump products and I, I just had to stop halfway through. But these are some of the, some of the finer ones that I noticed. Blump's Pipe Tobacco, Cup of Joe, Squeezable bacon. Yeah, they run the garbage bacon. industry. They have beef, pork juice, scab away, cheddar cheese. <laughs> sorry, cheddar scented cheese, uh, cigarettes. They also have lemon fresh suppositories. Ooh. And it was a little tough to read, but they might also have pizza and sausage links that I saw advertised in the diner, but I'm not entirely sure. Nice. But nice. Blump, which apparently that image, the Blump mascot, was Adam Rifkin's grandmother. That was her face. So really fun little thing of him to to put that in there. So okay, so this place, this movie has a lot of interesting characters. You mentioned the doctor. I actually want to play a little bit just so we can see what sort of a, a medical specialist this guy is. Need to worry about it? Oh, no, look, kid. I see this kind of thing every day. You just leave it alone and it'll fade away. Of course, uh, we, we, we could always cut it off. Uh, if it's going to go away anyway, I'd rather not pay the money. Do anything you want, little weasel. I don't care. <laughs> That's a doctor I want. What I love about this guy is that, like, the first time he comes in, he's got this really abnormal bump on the back of his of his of his back, and he just yeah. says, "Leave it alone, and it'll go away." Which eventually, you know, he's right. But um, <laughs> it's, it's so true. Yeah. he puts he puts a bandaid on it, right? Yeah, and then and then he comes back later when it's an actual like a children's a child's hand. <laughs> And the first thing you see is he's putting a, he's just putting a band-aid on the fingers of the hand. <laughs> What'd you do? You messed with it, didn't you? Did you pick at it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my god. god. That guy's a trip, man. Uh just to give a, a sample here, uh, uh we talked a little bit about Marty's comedy, so I clearly would be remiss if I did not include one of his stellar jokes. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Marty Mall. 
I'm reminded tonight of something that happened to me the other day. I went to the post office to get some stamps, and I waited my usual three hours in line. And just as I was getting to the window, an announcement was made that if anyone just needed stamps to move into a different line. So I moved into the different line, and this giant boot came down from the ceiling and stamped me on the head. Ooh, do I have a headache? <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I may laugh, but nobody in the audience did. No. <laughs> so... <laughs> no. I mean, he was right about the two to three hours in the post office thing, but you know. <laughs> yes, that is true. That is true. I, 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 since we're on characters before we jump off of it, I want to also highlight a little bit of Bill Paxton's energy as Gus in quite possibly one of the weirdest precursors to a very strange sex scene that I've, I've seen in a while. Uh, this is where he's confusing the names of a couple women. He's a, a whirlwind, a twister yeah, it, of energy. That's like what you did there. Yeah, well, I didn't. I actually feel pretty dirty about it, as dirty as this entire movie is. So that brings me into our next area, which is, um, well, goes both ways. The story. Let's, let's talk about the story here. Okay. So the big question is, did it make any sense? I think generally, if you connect the dots from A to B to C, yes. The narrative story makes sense. It, it does. It makes sense. It's like, you know, this guy's going after this thing and these things get in the way. He finds an opportunity and they go after it. And then there's a huge roadblock when that opportunity disappears. And then boom, all of a sudden shit goes sideways and then he has changed for the better. So narratively, sure, it makes sense. But did this fucking story make any sense in general about a, a, a bad comic in this, what I consider personally would be my own hell where it looks like there's no air conditioning yeah. and it's always about 90 degrees. There's yeah. a layer of sweat on everybody. And he's in this world. Nobody's happy except fucking Gus and his and, party and those, women. And, and his party women, yeah. Yeah. And occasionally, slippery, slimy Jackie Chrome, played by none other than Mr. fucking Las Vegas Wayne Newton. So how did, how did that happen? I'll get into that shortly. So... And that's actually pretty interesting. So, but so narratively it makes sense. But what about the, the did? But does it really make sense? I, I, no, nothing <laughs> about this makes sense. Like, like I, can I talk about the setting? Can can I please? Can, that, the setting is what is so amazing. It, it's like everything. Nothing. You have to accept the setting, and as soon as you accept the setting, then you're like, okay, sure. An arm growing out the back is just a freak of nature and nobody really is medically alarmed here or there there is no medicine i don't know it's like it's like ah, it's like this company blump like pumped this i don't know this gas into the air that makes everybody just very lethargic and they just go to work and nobody asks questions and then some people get high off of it i guess and that would explain gus um but i i don't i just don't understand it like where are the like 
who's who there's got to be happy people is there nothing nobody's everybody dirty like nothing yeah nothing there's no i didn't see any clean water there's nothing clean Mm -hmm. The only time I saw even a semblance of cleanliness was when we were in the television show studio oh, yeah. with the, the host. He seemed to be somewhat kind of clean, like there wasn't a bunch of shit on his clothes. It's like, eh, I don't know. But other than that, it was everywhere. And part of the reason why is this is from an interview that Adam Rifkin did in, I believe it was 2018, um, when they were going to show this film part of, as part of a double feature of his movies at the Alamo Draft House, And he talks about how he wanted to make this a weird movie. And he wanted the whole thing to feel like a circus sideshow, which is spot on because from the music, I agree, just to the, to the, the behavior, it's all yeah. there. So what they did for a movie that was actually relatively cheap, uh, it was $700,000, this budget, with all the people you see in this movie. Wow. They built every single set except for the diner. So everything is a built world that they controlled 100% from the alleys all the way to the offices and everything. Wow. So in doing that, they wanted to do something different. And what he thought would be different was what if we put garbage everywhere and just made the whole world like a giant dump, which is another thing I noticed how I love that they're garbage men. And it's like, they're not even putting a dent in it. (laughs) You know, if anything, they're just pouring it in the back of the truck and spreading it around as they're it's moving. It's all falling right back out again. Nobody cares. They're just going through the motions. You know, the fun little fact about this. So what they thought was, what's very in an expensive way to have production value? Garbage. Well, we all have garbage. So they saved their own garbage oh, and brought it to the set. And they put it in a giant truck that they would just tr- move around and dump the same garbage in every scene. So can you imagine how this... <laughs> these sets must have smelled right i mean they, they were it looks like they were probably avoiding food garbage but maybe not all the time maybe not all the time i mean there certainly is this like this look of just paper and and plastic garbage but i mean god it's like i can't imagine you know usually when you're on a set between takes they turn the ac on and everything's fine uh and it gets hella cold because of all the lights here i'd imagine they didn't even bother with ac they just left the lights on the whole time they made everybody get super sweaty and yeah. just left garbage everywhere Oh, so grimy, man. Everybody just looks so miserable. It, it, exactly. So, all oh, right. And, and another, just to point out one thing, like 90% of the television shows are horribly violent cartoons. Like, yes, the terribly, violent Tom and Jerry. Yeah. Like I was like, what is she watching? Which by the way, so the she Kenny's mentioning, is Marty's mom. And she she looks at this cartoon when she's watching her son on a television show. He's performing and she scoffs at it and changes the channel to watch this cartoon that actually yep. does make her laugh as a mouse gets cut in half, a cat gets its brains blown out by a shotgun. It's, this world is all upside down. Yeah, and you know what? The, the tagline of the movie to me says a lot. And it is... It's the world inside out. Hmm. It's literally all the nastiness on the, on, on the surface for, for full display. Um, and that's from, you know, seeing Jackie Chrome as this, you know, opportunistic dude. Uh, you got Rob Lowe in there as Dirk Delta, who is yeah. just, he's got a wonderful fake nose and a great set of false teeth to teeth. make him real yeah. uglied up. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you got 
uh, everything about it, James Conn, Dr. Scurvy, everybody, all these little side characters. It's, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It, it is like watching a circus on, uh, you know, fall apart before you. The first 30 minutes as I was getting through it, like, uh, cause, cause at first I'm like, ah, eh, you know, I'm not, I watch a lot of movies, but you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not very adventurous when it comes to the movies. So I'm watching it. And I'm like, man, I hope this hooks me. Cause this is going to be a long two hours. And as it's going through, I just like, I couldn't turn away. I was actually going to stop halfway through and then like take a break and do some laundry or something like that, just to give myself a break. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop watching it. I, I just couldn't. It was crazy. It does have a thing about it that does capture you. The thing that's interesting about this movie is I've shown it to a few people and hands down, every time I do, they are on the opposite side, you know, uh, the director Adam Rifkin even mentioned how when they premiered this and they showed it, it was exceptionally polarizing because he wanted to make a cult movie. He wanted to make something weird. He knew that if he went further enough into Hollywood, he could not do something like this ever again. He couldn't. So he wanted to do something like this. And it played to, almost, I'd say, to their strength. Uh, that they got split reviews. And what they ended up doing when they marketed the film was they would put good reviews next to bad reviews where somebody would say it's the best picture of the year and then the next screen would say it's the worst picture of the year. You know, I laughed so hard, I almost left the theater to vomit. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah, when he's eating the chicken, dude. I, I uh, Oh, dude, the I, chicken I, was so gnarly. I had to look away. I, I was like, oh man, I can't. I don't know what kind of jelly or or weird colored gravy they put up, but dude, Bill chicken, went right was, for it too, man. He's oh, that was like visceral. Right dude. in on it. I'm like, dude, I, Bill Paxton, he was a brave son of a bitch. I'll tell you that. So to answer your question on some of these people and how they got it, didn't you said you wanted to know how they got James Con? Was that the the one you were at or Wayne Newton? Was it one Wayne of those? Newton. It was Wayne Newton. Well, so, I mean, and like uh, um, Rob Lowe. I mean, this is kind of as he was starting to get picked up, right? Well, I think this is when he was, he might've been, I have to look at the timeline again. He might've been going through a bit of his troubles. Oh, right. Because that sex tape might've just come out. Uh, But Wayne Newton, now this is unbelievable. They offered him a cameo and he didn't want to play a small part. He wanted a big part in this movie. He's like, I want to be the third lead. I've known these guys. I want to play this guy. So he was actively all about it. That's great. The linchpin for this is when they got Judd Nelson. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how he got the script to Judd Nelson, how they got it involved at all. But once Judd Nelson saw it and he saw it was so disparate from all the characters he had played, because I mean, you think about it, Breakfast Club, he's like this tough dude. And then here he is, this like this little nerd who's just so shy and just so timid. He's a very different character. But once he was on... They, Adam Rifkin says that essentially the movie was funded. And from there, it was just a domino effect. You know, Bill Paxton, he, he dude, he's a guy who swings for the fences. He doesn't give a shit. He's, he's ready to do whatever. He's down to play, you know? So he was in it to win it. Lara Flynn Boyle was apparently uh, an alumni of the same college that Adam Rifkin went to. So he Is knew her. Rose, Rosa, Rose, what's her name? Rosita. Uh, Rosarita, yeah. Rosarita. You know, funny, uh, her and Rob Lowe are also in uh, Wayne's World. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. She, she was uh, that one girl that Wayne didn't like. Yes, the know. ones like, hey, don't hi, Wayne. Hi. Oh, she always gets bitten, hit by a car. Beaten up, no, right? no, she ran her bike. She's like looking at that's what it Wayne was, riding yeah. her bike. And then, <laughs> yeah. 
And now James Caan, he repeatedly said no to this movie, but it wasn't until the director hunted him down and called him while James Caan was sitting in the pool at the grotto of the Playboy Mansion that he took his phone call again and finally said, all right, Jesus, fucking kid, fine. Look, I'll do the movie. Don't pay me. It's a small thing, but just buy me plane tickets to Florida. I got to go to Florida. (laughs) And that's what they did. They bought him tickets to fucking Florida. And then he did the part. Yeah, it probably took him, what, 30 minutes? Yeah, right. I think they probably would have shot all of his stuff in a day. Yeah, because um, well, he, he had three he had to scenes. Wait for makeup, right? Yeah, he had three scenes. He had the two doctor office ones and then the the, the dream sequence. But um, yeah. All oh, right, so he, right, the dream sequence. So well, one thing I will say before we move on from the story is the one thing that does not make sense to me, and maybe it will to you because you are a father, so you probably have a bit of a different point of view than I do on this. This is quite possibly the softest rated R movie I have ever seen. I don't know if licking a corpse and having this weird, and again, when I say sex scene, it's like the prelude to it. All you see is Bill Paxton's butt as he's sort of rolling around with these ladies. But maybe it's the tone of the whole thing. I don't know, but it feels like it could have been more of a hard PG-13 than the straight up R just because of that. I don't At know. It just feels time, weird. It doesn't make sense. I can't speak for the time though. What is this? 1991 nowadays? Fuck yeah, that's rated R. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's rated R. I would <laughs> want that to be rated R. You I, think I, so? I, yeah, I do. And here's what here's why I would say this. Um, I, I I I wasn't offended with the corpse licking, you know, but you know, I I I may have been at 14. And not quite complete. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. We watched some really fucked up shit back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I look, there's it's hard. It's hard to say, man. It's hard to say. Yeah, you're right. This is pretty. There's not a bunch of language. There's no you language know. in it. There's, yeah, there's no language. Yeah, I was gonna say. I don't even remember them. There's no it. language. There's no violence. There is a meat cleaver, but you don't even see what it does. Yeah, there's there's like no it. fighting. There's a violent cartoon, but it's just a cartoon. there's a cartoon. You're right. There is the violent cartoon, but it's like, dude, you've seen the same stuff on itchy and scratchy you know on on um the and you're saying you think the worst part was when was gus was with the party girls no i think those are the only two things that i could see is yeah. when gus drops trowel and he's just like you just got full bill paxton ass yeah and yes you do see one of the women's ass cracks through her underwear or I don't know. It was, I don't know. It's it kind of. She's rather. She's really large. She's just a very large woman. I don't know. And also the scene shot darkly. It's again. Maybe it's just the overall tone. That sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes the tone is just too much. And it's a hard PG thirteen. It's a soft rated R for sure. Yeah. You know, here's what I'd say for all the people out there with kids. Uh, feel free to show them the dark backward. They will thank you forever. I'm not, I'm not too young. Like I wouldn't show it to my nine year old. Oh, dude, your nine-year-old would love this. <laughs> she wouldn't. She would not understand this. <laughs> well, you know what? Schrodinger's She's cat. All you don't know till you show her. Unicorns and pixies and princesses. Well, these are like trashy unicorns and garbage pixies and <laughs> dumpster right. fairies <laughs> and princesses. Okay. All right. So I think we've talked a, a, a lot about this trash thing. I think, honestly, let's talk about the final category, which is the WTF factor. And I think that is a huge part of it is this, what the fuck are we watching right now? Because this world doesn't seem right. And that just does not let up at all. 
And to me, that just keeps this solidly in a, a what the fuck is going on sort of state. Did you play Fallout? Yes. Any any Fallout? Yeah. yeah I did. did did you I this movie feels it has, feels, I mean, feels like the remnants of an apocalyptic event where they've just rebuilt the city and they sort of found the old clothing. Yeah, and everybody and like, and like everything's a bit dumpy. Nothing's been fixed. There's rust well, everywhere. I would even say it's pre-apocalypse when you have like this major. I forget the name of the conglomerate in um, Fallout, but um, but you know how like you know they have that 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 I don't know if 1950s nuclear like I don't know. It just to me it really feels that way. Like, like the Vault Boy. You're talking about that Vault Tech. Well, like. Yeah, and all, well, all of like you know how like you know there's a there's a brand for everything. Um, I, I could look it up, but uh, it, it, it the, the whole branding of everything and everything's the same brand. You know, it's like this this uh, uh, monopoly has taken over, and and things are controlled one hundred percent by that monopoly. Yeah, it's fascinating, dude. I would love to know why and how it got as bad as it did in this place you know that's the thing is i i think i don't know if the director ever came up with really the why i think he wanted to purposely make this world as different from our known world as possible right yeah which is why everything couldn't be a why you know but yeah it's like there is no why this is this is just like you know in a multi-world theory or multi-universe theory there's a different version of everything so that somewhere in the multiverse this one exists you know where everything is just 10 degrees too warm and garbage pickup is on never day <laughs> i don't know yeah and there's no clear water there's nothing clear. there's no clear water there's roaches that just live and there's rat traps that don't that don't trip yep it's uh it's a wonderful place but there apparently there are nice things because he's like he found that rug in the in the dump he you know did what so was like where nice, did though? that come from well not in not in its current state but like it was trash by the time he got it but i mean you're right would he know the difference would he know it's a nice rug you know who knows what it was i like mean even then yeah even then you know gus is like how do you know and he's like yeah that's well, true just look at the craftsmanship it's like yeah, what right. fucking craftsmanship it's in yeah, the how dump. Would you know <laughs> exactly oh man i um <laughs> I want to hear another little clip um, before we move on here. Oh, I've been waiting for this all my life. All my life. Gus, 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 let's be realistic about this. I mean, accordion players can come and go, but the comedy genius of Marty Malt and Desi is a one in a million thing. See, that to me is is just fucked up. Because, <clears throat> you know, he knows that he's using this guy for his freaky third arm. And it's also a great tell from Gus. Yeah, it as is. As to what his intentions are. Yep. It's the greatest moment of my life. My life. But, again, it's, it's just so interesting. Everything... Man, this movie, it's like, maybe I'm giving it too much. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving too much credit. Um, I have to say that at first, when I remember watching this the very first time, I how was like... Come, how did that come to be? Like, where do you find this movie? Ah, well, that's that's a great side side note to how I found this movie. 
So there's a little tidbit about this. I found out about it because I work for a entertainment company. And one of the directors, well, actually, I guess it's not a big secret. You can look me up. I work for Disney. And at the studio division of Disney I was at at the time, I would just look up any of the directors on our crew or various productions just to see what they've done. One guy had an acting credit in a weird movie called The Dark Backward. And I decided to click on it because the name was so weird of the character. I was like, well, what is this movie? I've never heard of it. Then I saw it had Bill Paxton and all these people. And I was like, wow, that's really fucking nuts. So he's yeah. in this movie? Okay. So then I hunted the film down and I found it. And that's how I, I watched it. The person in, in question, he's a director. Uh, he was one of the directors of the Planes movie, uh, Planes Fire and Rescue. Names, I saw that. Yeah, his name is Bob Scanaway. And he played Denny Ginkle, who was the human pretzel on that variety show when oh. he came out with the mattress and he started bending himself around. That was a very young Bob Scanaway who would go on to direct some movies for Disney wow. and now working on a TV show for Disney. That's how I found this movie. Um, and I think that he stopped talking to me at the studio for a while after I mentioned the movie to him because I had oh, seen no. it. And I think he, I think he wanted to let this one just sort of just fade into the fade into the background. And here's this this young kid who's just coming up and being like, hey, he's like, oh, shit. Well, I was just friends with Adam and I just wanted to to help him out. <laughs> so that's how I found it. And now he avoids you at the lunch table. Yeah. Now he avoids me at the lunch table in the cafeteria. It's very sad. Very sad. So. Uh, so what I was saying uh, before is I think maybe I'm prescribing too much credit to this and maybe I'm not giving enough, but I think one thing that's interesting is after the first time I saw this, I felt the ending was just sort of a, a bummer, a downer because he didn't make it. He didn't get to go. But now as I've gotten older and I watch it again, I realize at the end, everybody ends up where they need to be. Yep. You know, even in the relationship, Rosarita clearly was not that happy with him. No. She wasn't. He thought he wanted her. He didn't really know what he wanted. The one thing that that Marty always did know that he wanted was a laugh. Yeah, he wanted to make people laugh. And he finally got that at the end, even though it meant he had to go through pain and suffering. But then again, comedy is, you know, suffering plus time. And, you know, Gus wanted to be famous and go to Hollywood. Sure as shit got to. So really, this is actually an oddly happy ending that's just a little bit veiled because everything's so goddamn dark and dirty. Yeah, the, the only thing that you don't, the only character that that you don't get to kind of, Rosarita doesn't really, her, hers is inconclusive in that he goes back to the, the thing and uh, she doesn't work there anymore, which I guess is a good thing because maybe you're moving up, but you could also move down, you know, whatever. Yeah. But maybe Marty's the reason she was staying there. I mean, you, you could read into this all day long. And well, that's half the fun of it. Maybe that's what it was. She was just hanging back because she was stuck with this guy who just didn't get it. Yep. Um, and, maybe you know, the Gus thing kind of just was like, OK, I'm good. Let's get out. Yeah, here. maybe that's what it was, is that, you know, she she got she got gust and yeah maybe that was enough to run her out of town because honestly looking at the sort of things that gus gets into i don't know if anybody wants to be doing anything with a trash penis so yeah, well maybe it's been a while maybe kind of seem like it had been a while for her 
Yeah, could be. Well, I mean, when you when you're with Marty Malt, yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah, and it didn't I mean, look like there was many other things going on there. I mean, there was a dude at the counter didn't even look. That's yeah. Was the best just, part is that he's he, just depressingly looking off into the distance. Yeah, he's just staring at the wall, watching yep. the paint peel while while she's banging it out with um, Gus on the floor. So, yep. man. So let's talk about how subversive this movie is. How spicy is the sauce, you think? This is completely arbitrary, by the way. It's just really just for fun. I usually, I go on a scale of one to 10. You know, one's pretty timid. You know, like uh, we gave a talking cat. We gave that a two. While something like Pink Flamingos or um, a Serbian film would be more like a 10. So how do you feel about something like this? Oh, man. Uh... I'm, I'm not the right person to ask because oh like, you know like, I don't, there's no I don't right or wrong answer that. all right i'm just saying for me like you know this will be a this will be a uh a uh a, um my mind just blanked out oh. uh so how about um i don't know maybe a six a six yeah you know it wasn't like like I said, the, the the worst thing for me was the was the, the chicken eating like that. I, I, I had to look away. <laughs> I had to look away. Even the corpse licking was just like, huh? Where are we going with this? Like, if there was a lot of that throughout the movie, it would be a lot higher. But it literally was like what, thirty seconds of screen time. Um, yeah, I would say that my uh, my opinion was on the reserve side because I don't I haven't seen a lot of crazy movies. But yeah, this was this would be my, probably one of my top. 10 top 15 crazy movies okay well that's uh geez stick around for a while and listen to the rest of the season <laughs> you'll, you'll learn about some to really pad out that top 10 uh i'm gonna have to personally go with uh, you know i'm gonna have to go with the five and because look salacious content does not always a subversive film make it's just about what sort of conventions it bucks and i feel that it bucked enough to warrant you know more than just a, a lower number but it also held back a little bit in some ways. Now, I'm not saying, again, to do things for the sake of shock, but there was, there was certainly a little bit more room and latitude for it to go further than it did. Probably a good thing it didn't. But, you know, so we'll, we'll split and we'll just go around to the five or six. We'll just give it down that way. But either way, it's a fun watch. Highly recommend. Everybody should watch all these movies because... If you, you might learn something and you just get out of your comfort zone and see something a little different. Yeah, I'm glad I watched it. Um, I, I tell you what, I mean, the reason I would go with a six for me is just like, I'm fascinated by that setting, just the setting alone, like the setting itself is a character, yeah. you know, and they did that well, whether Absolutely. this was their intention or not. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of those movies that it is a cult classic. Um, so it's a bit harder to find what you can do is you can most definitely get the DVD of it on Amazon. Um, looks like there was a time when it was on Prime, but it's no longer available. So that could just mean it's a, a rights thing or they very well might be doing a, you know, it's been 30 years. Maybe they'll be doing a Blu-ray of this. I mean, this is happening for a lot of movies from back in that period that's happened with All American Murder and it's happening with other ones. So maybe that's where this will go. But for the time being, uh, you can definitely find the DVD out and about on Amazon or eBay. Give it a lot. Give it a watch. 
you won't be disappointed or maybe you will fuck if i know otherwise ken thank you very much for taking the time out to talk with me today about this film yeah thanks thanks for having me out man this was fun of course we'll make sure we have you back for something i need the i really need to give you something that's going to make your skin crawl yeah i'm okay with that i just don't go too far i i i nightmare easily that's okay. I think I've actually gone as far, well, almost as far as I can already with some of these these selections. So <laughs> we'll just give you something a little crazier. You know, after watching the movie, I felt kind of felt like I needed to take a shower and I'm kind of feeling that way now too. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> well then, until next time, thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a review and a five-star rating at your preferred podcast provider. Tell a friend so they can check it out too. And follow us on Instagram at subversive underscore cinema for more content. Subversive cinema.